still spinning. There we go. And we're live here on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. What's up, guys? Nick Scrip on the P2W Fantasy Podcast on the first podcast following the big uh, big NFL draft. And I'm very excited about this one today. I have two great guests with me uh, to kind of do a recap, kind of do um, a little bit of a reflection on some potential uh viewpoints that came from this NFL draft. But before we get into any of the topics here today, I do want to make sure that I introduce both of these guys and uh, let them plug what they do because they are both super busy uh, within the fantasy community and have a bunch of stuff going on themselves. So to start things off to my uh, left or right here, I have Coop, who is uh, the lead analyst for the Fantasy Alarm. Uh, I know you do a podcast on there. You also have the uh, the Fantasy Football Besties and Lightning Round as well. Uh, you and I were kind of talking a little bit about uh, what you got coming up. I know you have some big guests lined up, and you're at it pretty frequently during the week. So, Coop, can you let everybody know where to find you for one? And then for two, can you talk about what you have going on? Yeah, for sure. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, so yeah, you can see Coupe Fiasco on Twitter. Uh, anything I have, I post that there. So articles, podcast links, all that goes through. Uh, Lightning Round actually just got picked up by Fantasy Alarm. So now everything's kind of running through Fantasy Alarm, keeps it nice and tight. Uh, and, you know, people that know my work or maybe that don't know that I'm a big tight end guy, got a big tight end series I do every year, but uh, I'm just constantly covering everything out there. So come check it out. Awesome. I, I do. I do see you frequently tagged all the time about like somebody's asking about a tight end sleeper or an opinion on some guy. And you seem to be like that go to. So that's uh, that's great, because I know that's not the only thing obviously you talk to. But having a, a specific position that a lot of people think about your name all the time is, is awesome. It shows a lot and it speaks uh, speaks numbers there. Uh, also with me on the bottom here, Jeff, uh, you, I know you're involved with fantasy pros, but you are the leader of Going for Two. Uh, you guys got a massive website over there. Uh, I know you have the podcast to the uh, Armchair Fantasy Show for uh, Going for Two Live. You guys have a bunch of guests coming up. I was kind of peeping that a little bit. And uh, this is your second time on the show. Uh, I think we've linked up before. Uh, other than that, uh, interact a lot. I think the one time you did come on, I had to make you the the host for a minute because I dipped out of my own stream, which was fun. But uh, I'm glad you're back on, Jeff. Can you let everybody know where to where to find you for one, and then for two, uh, talk about what you got going on? All right, yeah, you can find me uh, at Jeff Lambert seventy seven. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I've been writing for Fantasy Pros now for almost five years. I'm also a, a ranker over there as well. Uh, going for two, we got. 30-ish writers on staff currently. Um, some of them take the off-season off, but a lot of them are still doing dynasty content right now. Uh, and then we have Going for Two Live, which is live pretty much Monday through Friday. Uh, my show is on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And like you mentioned, we have a huge month. Uh, we got Jeff ha Jeff Hasley this week. We got Mike Clay next week. We have Ryan McDowell the following week. And we cap it off with Scott Fish in the last week. So huge, huge May for us. Uh, just excited to check us out on YouTube, we're on Twitch, we're on Facebook Live, we're on Twitter, we're everywhere. Awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a big list of names and uh, a lot to look forward to. Uh, you guys will be definitely busy during this time of year. So thank you guys both for coming on. I know it wasn't like the most extensive of notice, but it uh, should be a great show today. Uh, as always, this podcast is partnered up with the Fantasy Points Media Group, which is a branch of Fantasy Points. Go check out FantasyPoints.com, one-stop shop for all of your fantasy football needs. If you are listening to the show now, it's going to be a good one. Stick with us. Uh. 
but I can't forgive. I go all in. It's time, yeah, I won't regret. I'll pick the best on trip. They don't understand. I play to win. Yeah, I play to win. I play to win. Yeah, yeah, I play to win. I play to win. Oh, play to win. I play to win. Yeah, yeah, I play to win. I play to win. All right. And if you guys want to comment, uh, you'll have to do it on YouTube. Can't do it on Twitter just yet. Hopefully one day they, they sort that out. But uh, we'll put it on the screen and and uh, check those out. But what we have going on today, factor cap. And I always joke around that I turned 30 in October. So I'm trying to like stay hip and, and cool with the time. So uh, <laughs> cap means like false. That's what I, I was told. But uh, we just had the NFL draft. We see all of these takes that are coming right away. It was almost instant as the picks were being made, but uh, a lot of reactions. And, you know, sometimes you kind of have to decipher when people have some statements to what happens in, in the football world if these statements are more fact or cap, so true or false. Uh, so I'll have some statements here uh, after some brief facts and ask Coop and Jeff if, if these statements uh, that are regarding the NFL draft and what happened again, are more fact or cap. So starting off with the uh, the New York Jets. So the Jets selected Brees Hall with the 36th overall pick in this draft. Hall finished with 3,941 rushing yards, 82 receptions for 734 receiving yards and 56 scrimmage touchdowns. Michael Carter was drafted in the fourth the year prior. Carter had 639 rushing yards, 36 catches, and he had five games of 14-plus fantasy points. So Fact or cap will go to Coop first. Michael Carter's presence will limit Brees Hall from being a RB1. Is that more fact or more cap and why? I mean, I'm going to say cap. And, you know, you guys can see all the stuff behind me. You can see that I'm wearing Patriots stuff right now. So, you know, I'm an unbiased analyst here when I say that the Patriots crushed this draft. I mean, the, the Jets crushed this draft, man. They smoked it, dude. And I will say I love what the offense is doing with the offensive line, Mekhi Becton, all these guys. When I look at a guy like Brees Hall, and when you go and take a guy 36, he's going to play some role. And you you look at you know his profile that he's a pass catching back. I don't play in any standard leagues, so I don't honestly even really care about a guy getting the full workload as long as he gets the passing days, right? Like you look at the work that Scott Barrett did uh, to me, which is kind of famous article, the one he did where he looked at the value of receptions versus carries, where he basically showed that in PPR leagues, it's worth like 2.7 more than a carry. And even in standard leagues, it's like 1.4 more than a carry. So, you know, guys like Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler never had a thousand yard season, right? For me, I don't care as much about being the full three down back as a rookie as I do just getting a role at all and having it be that pass catching role. So to me, I am super interested in Brees Hall. He's my one-on-one and I'm not super worried about Michael Carter long-term short-term, you know, maybe it's a split, but I think he's a guy that's going to find his way into the top 24. I don't know about you guys. All right, I'm going to shift the uh, the same question, and I'll, I'll I'll have some random follow up questions just because I like to throw some some curveballs. But uh, Jeff, same question: Michael Carter's presence will limit Brees Hall from being a RB one. Factor cap. I'm going cap as well. Um, I think the NFL right now is pretty much committees all over the place. I mean, there's a couple places where you have a lead, a quote unquote lead back, but most of the time there's a committee of some sort. Uh, and I'm going to point back to uh, 2020 actually. Uh, Antonio Gibson was RB 13. So just outside of a, of a top 12 and Jaden McKissick had a hundred targets and 80 catches. So, and that, that wasn't on a team that wasn't very good. Um, so you think of the jets, if their offense can be anything better than it was last year, and especially with the draft they just had with Garrett Wilson being drafted as well, that offense should be better. 
Um, as long as they're scoring points, I think both of these guys can coexist. And I don't think there's going to be any problem with uh, with Brees Hall being an RB1, and I wouldn't be scared to draft him. So uh, Coop said that he is his uh, 101. Jeff, would you say the same if you were on the clock right now? Super flex, one quarterback league, regardless. Is he your 101 uh, as well, or how, how do you view that? It's funny that you asked that because I uh, I literally just traded up to get the 101 like an hour ago. Oh, and I was talking to a of mine. So I'm like, yeah, and I was like, I, I hate being pigeonholed into a pick. Like, I feel like Brees Hall is everybody's 101. And I always hate being the one to have to pick the guy that's consensus because then if he busts, you're kind of in that same crowd. So I'm like, do I take Walker? Do I take Walker? But honestly, if it comes down to it, it's, it's going to be Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall is the 101, and there's not it's the pass catching that kind of puts him puts him apart. You know, Walker, we didn't see it in college. Now, can he do it? Maybe we don't know. But the offense that he was in, we didn't see it, so we don't know if he can do it or not. We know Brees Hall can do it, so I'll take the safe pick and go with Brees Hall 101 as well. All right, I think all three of us are on the same page there. And the last question, jump in how you want, uh, Michael Carter. So we don't have to dive super deep into it. Um, just as a fantasy player, do you have any interest in rostering this guy or does Brees Hall just completely kick his tires aside and, and you're not interested anymore? I know you both kind of mentioned a lot of systems these days are somewhat of a committee or have two guys operating in them. Uh, what's your, what's your brief thoughts on Michael Carter? You guys can jump in how you want. Yeah. I mean, I was a fan of grabbing him before this draft. You know, I actually did grab him for cheap in one league just because I was like, you know what? The Jets might not take a running back. You know, we, we have no idea. They ended up taking one, which does hurt, but I like that offensive line. I like the setup. And the thing about a guy like Robert Sala, who comes over from the 49ers is that that's been the whole game over there is they, they don't care about draft capital or at least, you know, Shanahan that crew did. We just watched Trey Sermon not play at all with a six round guy, Elijah Mitchell play over him. They took another guy this year. It's like, uh, you know, he brought over his own guy, Tevin Coleman, and Coleman didn't really cut it. So he didn't even lean on his own guy that he brought in. So I think that, you know, everyone's going to get a clean slate. They're going to get a shot. I just think Brees Hall is that guy. He's that good. Now, if they had brought in Kenneth Walker, like like Jeff kind of mentioned there, like had they brought him in, then I would still be interested in Michael Carter because I've seen Michael Carter catch 10 passes in a game from Mike White. You know, yeah. in that backfield, now Michael Carter maybe gets that role. I just think that Brees Hall is better than him at everything. And now we look at it and say, well, now there's a second round running back versus fourth round running back. It's 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 looking pretty ugly. So Michael Carter's I'm not going out to get him right now. I'll keep him, but I'm also not afraid to drop him if Brees Hall just takes over. So I don't know what you think, Jeff. Yeah, so I'm sort of in the same boat as you. Uh I do think I am buying because of his depressed value right now. I think um you know, people are all down on him. Oh, you know, Brees Hall's gonna take the full workload. I mean, he's still a rookie. But look at Jonathan Taylor, his rookie season. Uh, Naeem Hines was still, I think, an RB2 that year. Um, so Brees Hall, if he starts slow or if they do run that split like the 49ers did, you know, for so long with two running backs basically getting the, the workload, uh, I'd buy Michael Carter cheap right now if, if you can get him because um, I'm not I'm not too worried. I do think they're going to have a role for him. I think he showed last year that he can be a, a decent running back in this league, and I do think that Salah wants to take over that same sort of philosophy with, with the running backs, and, and it works. I mean, it, it keeps those guys healthy. And you got him at the end of the season and they're fresh. Um, you're gonna have an advantage over most of the teams in the you know in December when everybody's kind of cold and worn down. You got two fresh running backs that have been sharing a workload, kind of like what Cleveland does with Kareem Hunt and, uh, and Nick Chubb, where they're both fresh at the end of the season. Yeah, I'll say uh, in the chat, if you want to throw it up there, Tyler yeah, Orginski yeah. goes, What's cheap for Carter? I mean, 
you look at the hit rates for third round picks in Dynasty. I mean, it's like we're talking 10% or lower most of the times. Everyone loves to jump out and grab the names where they're like, oh, well, you could have got Chris Godwin or you could have got Aaron Jones. I mean, for every one of those yeah. guys, there's so many guys, even the second round, that are brutal. So I think that, that Jeff's right, that if you're sitting there in the third round and you're like, you know, somebody's like, what do you want for this pick? And you don't have a guy that you really like that you think can really pop. And all the guys that went day one and two are gone. I'd say, you know, throw me Michael Carter, right? Because I think his hit rate, the chances of him being a successful player is probably still higher than 10% considering what we've seen. And yeah. a lot of these guys are 10% or less, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's a great draft day move because when we're all sitting maybe in our home league garage or whatever and everybody is anticipating being a part of the draft and uh, guys are antsy to draft, you got that 303 pick and somebody sitting next to you and hasn't picked since, you know, the 108 or something like that. Great, great time to capitalize. But yeah, I think all, a lot, a lot of ahead. times, too, we're doing like a, a million mock drafts as analysts. Right. And we we kind of know who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. Yeah. And then you see a guy that you thought was going to be gone is on the board still. Then you might be you know apt to trade a guy like Marco Carter to get your guy. So I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. There we go. So uh, Brees Hall looked at as the, the RB1 of this class. So the wide receiver one in terms of how the NFL operated in the draft, uh, Drake London, first wide receiver off the board as we shift to uh, the next question here. But USC product Drake London selected eighth overall as the wide receiver one. Uh, after a year, he caught 88 balls for 1,084 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, in the year prior, Kyle Pitts was selected fourth overall to the Falcons. Uh, London, 6'4 guy, Kyle Pitts, 6'6 guy, two big-bodied receivers. Uh, some may look at this team as, as having two guys that, that might be somewhat similar in being two bigger possession guys. Maybe they're very different in, in your guys' eyes. But that kind of rose the question. I kind of uh, saw this a few times uh, with that pick being made. But uh, factor cap, the Falcons should have drafted a wide receiver less like Kyle Pitts. And we'll go to, we'll go to Jeff first in this one. What's your thoughts there? So I think for, for year one, I'm a little worried. I, I always saw Drake London as sort of a, a 1B to another receiver's 1A. Um, and that 1A might be Calvin Ridley, which we know he's not going to play this year. Let's hope he plays next year. So so I do like him more for next year with that sort of 1A alpha receiver on the field and Drake London being a possession guy, and then you get your tight end in the middle. But I think for this year, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because they don't have that field stretcher to, to really you know open up the middle of the field where those two these two guys both are going to work at. So I do think they kind of, uh, you know, take from each other a little bit to where they're both going to be good, but they're not going to be as good as you want them to be because they're going to kind of steal from each other. But once they get Calvin Ridley back, if they do get Calvin Ridley back, um, I think it opens the offense up quite a bit. And then I think that the they, the offense can be a 10 times better in 2023. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. yeah uh, same question, man. I was going to say, I'm right. I'm right with Jeff on that because it is fairly rare for teams to have three guys all get an elite level of targets. I mean, uh, you know, if you talk about hundred target teams, Jeff brought up JD McKissick getting a hundred targets. Yeah. That is one of the, that, that was one of only uh, two teams that year. Right. And it's McKissick, Logan Thomas, McLaurin. No one even predicted that. Right. In 2000, um, you know, 2019, it was the Panthers in 2018. It was the giants. Those are the only teams that were doing it. Right. So you, it's not, it's not that often you get these three highly consolidated, uh, consolidated guys at the top. And it's even harder to guess. Right. Like every once in a while, you get a team like the Bengals that just rolls the same 11 guys out every single play. And that works out. But even then, Tyler Boyd wasn't really that great. So uh, at the end, the end of the day, it's going to be two of those guys. I'm going cap on this for a different part of the sentence. Uh, 
basically, do you think the Falcons should have drafted a wide receiver? You can stop right there. And I say that I don't think they should have. I think this team is kind of building it backwards where I like what the Dolphins did, where you tank, you get the offensive line, you get the defensive line, you get the quarterback. They didn't even bring in uh, Jalen Waddell and Will Fuller until two years after the tank. They tanked in 19, then they waited to 21. And then in 22, they bring in Tyreek Hill. Now they're ready to compete, whether you think two or not. They're, they're kind of building the backwards windows here where the time by the time you get, you know, say Mariota doesn't work, by the time you get a quarterback, get him up to speed, now you got to pay these guys, man. Yeah. Like, it, it, I, they kind of built it backwards. That's why, for me, the sentences cap before you even get to, like, you know, they should have gone with the struggle. And, and you know what I mean? In my opinion. You know, I, I didn't look at it at all that way, but that is extremely smart of a, a point because I, I feel like we, we look at this team, we say, hey, great young tight end, right? And great young wide receiver. But then you look at the holes everywhere else. You're like, well, how's this team going to operate moving forward? And uh, the, the part about them getting paid down the road when you're probably just starting to get the wheels going it's going to put them in a weird situation because they might not perform to the degree that they have wanted them to, but they know they're talented, but they're kind of building. It's a lot of moving parts, but um, for Drake London and we'll, we'll go coop Jeff, uh, I got a side question. So for me prior to the draft, he was, he was my wide receiver one. And, and I was a little bit on the fence about it. And then I read some, you know, some work from some other guys uh, that I respect in the industry and uh, one I respect a lot. Uh, you mentioned Scott Barrett before I read his big model article. He kind of sold me on, on Drake London. But, you know, looking at Mariota, looking at the Falcons, uh, is he your 102? Because it seemed like we all were, were 101. Coop, is he your 102 in a rookie draft? So for me, and this is why I love what Jeff did with trade up and get that 101, is that I kind of feel like, uh, and we'll t- we're will we going to talk about uh, Kenneth Walker a bit later, so I don't yeah. want to jump too into that, but... Um, you know, the question of whether he's my top wide receiver, I think this draft really smoothed out the wide receivers where after 101 or 102, if you go Kenneth Walker, I don't mind picking anywhere in there. I, I'm just happy to get one of those guys. You yeah. know, I don't think, and obviously us as fantasy analysts, we love to say that we can differentiate and give yourself much, much better odds. But at the end of the day, when three guys go back to back to back in the first round, there's only so much separation you can create in those odds. You know what I mean? So I do like Drake London a lot, especially, uh, you know, in in I don't play standard, but half PPR leagues where those big contested catch touchdown guys can make a huge difference. Like the Adam Thielen's are much more valuable in that type of format. Uh, I do like him there. But at the same time, I'm not crying if if someone takes him and I have to take Garrett Wilson or if I have to take uh, Traylon Burks or, or even if my team isn't. You know, if I don't necessarily need the guy to play right away, I don't mind Jamison Williams. Like, I kind of love a lot of these guys. But uh, but I will say that uh, Drake London, especially if you had him as your number one, nothing has changed. Going, nothing that happened this weekend changes where you should have him. And if you had Traylon Burks as number one, I don't necessarily think anything should change for you either, you know? Yeah, yeah. They got their their draft capital. I mean, you look at uh, the Falcons, they, they took him as the number one receiver. You look at a guy like Burks, like you mentioned, and they made a massive trade just to make sure that they uh, secured him. There wasn't a ton that uh, I agree that happened to where you're like, you know what? I, I was pretty close on these two guys. Now I got to push this guy further. And I know, I know the draft like last year for me personally, I, I didn't want to pay for chase. Right. But I, I, I was right around the, the range of like, I, 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 I have picks, around the spot that I really want to take Elijah. And I was a big Elijah guy. And I feel like to your point, Coop, 
that if you are in a range and you can get one of like three or four guys, you're probably more comfortable than in the past where, you know, at certain spots in the draft, you see this like drop off or, or a big uh, tier break or something like that. But um, I, look, oh, if I ahead. could add one in real quick, that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. that exact thing happened to me where I liked Denzel Mims. I really, truly did. And then I saw all these, uh, split end needy teams taking T Higgins, and Michael Pittman. And I looked at the draft capital and I said to myself, I can't, I can't go past these guys to take Mims. And that luckily turned out to be right. In this case though, they're drafted so close together. Like you said, you don't get that tier. You don't get that, that thing that's telling you what you have to do, which I kind of, you know, I kind of like it. You can pick your guy now. Yeah. Yeah. Coop, where, where were you like a few years ago when I took Mims and all my rookie drafts? <laughs> <laughs> taking T Higgins because I forced myself to. I liked him too. I got I have my share of Mims too, but I, I just I couldn't I, I couldn't get beyond the tear break. I couldn't I couldn't convince myself that I knew something that the Bengals didn't. You know, right, Je- Jeff. That 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 same question. Just going back though uh, about Drake London one oh two or or is this a a question to be saved for later in the the podcast? He's I got him at one oh three currently only because I love Jamison Williams and, and what Coop said about not having to need him right away. Actually, the league that I have the one oh one and I actually have the one oh five. And I'm hoping that Williams falls to the one oh five because then I can stash him on my IR if he does not play in the beginning of the season. I don't gotta use a taxi squad spot. I could put three rookies on a taxi squad, stash him on the IR, and then you know wait for him to kind of come into fruition. But uh I love Williams. He was my uh receiver four, and then I kind of just Looked at Drake London, like I mentioned earlier, and said, I think it was more of a 1B than a 1A. So Drake London fell down one, and Jameson Williams jumped him up um, in a pretty good landing spot as well. I think the Detroit's um, offense is shaping up pretty well there. I think he'll fit in perfectly. I have Garrett Wilson at number one still. He was number one before the draft, before the combine for me as well, so I just stayed with it and left Garrett Wilson there. But as Coop said, I mean, you get any of those guys, Garrett Wilson, Williams, Drake London, I'll throw Chris Olave in there. He had a good landing spot. Uh, Traylon Burks, obviously taking the spot of A.J. Brown. All those guys, if I can get any one of those receivers there, I'm good to go. J- Jameson Williams, just speaking to him uh, briefly, um, I thought he was going to go to the Falcons. And and I my mindset was that this team's not super, super competitive right now. They don't have to, to rush this guy to be healthy and get on the field right away. And uh, his development can be um, done the right way. And that's what the Lions are. Like it makes total sense for them to go and grab this guy and and not rush him back. So I I like that landing spot actually a lot just because of that the state of their team and he can take his time coming back. But um, speaking of wide receivers, uh, maybe the biggest occurrence of the draft uh, happened um, involving a player that uh, was not an incoming rookie, but uh, with uh, with AJ Brown. So blockbuster trade, Eagles traded number eighteen and number one hundred one for. The Titans star AJ Brown. Then they paid him four years, a uh, hundred million dollar deal with fifty-seven mil- million uh, guaranteed. Looking at AJ Brown, like just this past season, I think we saw uh, glimpses of why people regard him as a top, maybe three to five wide receiver in the league. Postseason versus the Bengals, five catches for one hundred forty-two receiving yards and a touchdown. Versus San Francisco, eleven for one forty-five and a touchdown. Versus Indianapolis, ten for one fifty-five and a touchdown. Versus the Chiefs. Eight for 133 and a touchdown. We know the talent of this guy. We know that he can turn an entire game upside down. So uh, I, I do, you know, flashback to the draft. I was uh, on the Fantasy Point stream, and we all reacted the way that we should have. But uh, Wes Huber grabbed his head, and he screamed out, this was the worst 
trade I've ever seen in the history of the NFL. Like he like lost his mind. I think he was looking at his like dynasty shares and losing his shit for a second, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was funny. It was funny, but factor cap, we'll go to, we'll go to Coop first. The Titans Eagles draft day deal for AJ Brown is the worst in the history for a draft day trade. So we're worst in the sense of it's bad for the Titans, bad for the Eagles. I'm trying to, what's the, um, I need a little context on that. So, so, so if we look at draft day trades, so any trades that happen on actual draft day, uh, let's say from a value perspective, what, what they, what they gave, what they got, is it the worst trade in NFL history? No, I think the worst trade in NFL history is the probably still the Ricky Williams trade just because of how it panned out for the team that tried. Ricky Williams had a good career, but he was only there for just a little bit. You know what I mean? So as far as draft day trades go, there have been some pretty rough ones. Uh, I will say that I, I, I love it for the Eagles. You know, like if you think you're going all in now with Jalen Hurts and and you're trying to win now and you and you convinced uh Kelsey to come back and Lane Johnson and and you're you're making a run like this is a perfect deal for them and I, I don't even mind paying the money because like look at the free agents next year I mean who like unless you can convince Deontay Johnson and Terry McLaurin to leave it, there's it's not a lot it's like Juju and like Chark and and some guys like that so I like it for for the Eagles for the Titans I mean I don't know maybe they they maybe they think they're the new Vikings pulling the little Stephon Diggs. Justin Jefferson, but I mean, I don't know. I I think it's pretty bad for the Titans. So, uh, but I mean, it's just not as bad as some of these other trades. And, but it's easy to say that in hindsight too. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know, Jeff. What do you think, bud? I think it's like like you said, it's great for the Eagles, uh, but it's bad for your AJB stocks. I think <laughs> I think that that hurts his value a little bit with with Jalen Hurts being his quarterback. They got Devontae Smith there. Obviously, Gutter is still there. Uh, they like to run the ball. They had three running backs last last year that you know touched the ball. So I don't love it for A.J. Brown. Um, for the Eagles in general, as far as the team goes, then, yes, I think the Eagles, you know, made out pretty well there. They did pay him quite a bit, um, but I do think that he's worth it. He's, he's already shown that he can be worth it. So as you mentioned, all the stats there, um, he's definitely worth it. For the for the other side of things, for Titans, they're almost like in a mini rebuild, it seems. Like they, they you know, they, they took players that sort of replaced players they currently have. Like, you know, they got Traylon Burks. They took a quarterback, Malik Willis. Uh, they even got a running back that, you know, not replaces Derrick Henry, but they did get another running back that's going to play behind Derrick Henry. So are they sort of inching towards that rebuild? Like, okay, we kind of beat our head against the, the roof a few times with these players. It's not working out. Maybe we need to change pace. Uh, and they just weren't willing to pay A.J. Brown that huge contract. So they dumped the contract. Um, they got the picks. Uh, Traylon Burks, is he going to be the A.J. Brown replacement? Um, I don't think so, at least not immediately. I don't think Burks is that kind of player that's just going to step in and be good. I think they, they they have to manufacture touches for him to get the ball into his hands. I don't think he's quite the route runner that A.J. Brown was. Um, so I don't think if you're expecting Burks to be A.J. Brown, don't do that. And then if you have A.J. Brown's shares, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't think the Eagles are going to be passing the ball enough to, to really help A.J. Brown's stock there. And, and you brought up, you know, the look of maybe a rebuild. T to me, it's it's extremely confusing because coming into the year, we know that this team has been a playoff team the last couple of years and seem like a somewhat of a contender. They have some some hot streaks where they beat some of the best in the NFL. And in the offseason, they bring in Robert Woods, who isn't necessarily the youngest guy coming off in an ACL tear. Uh, they bring in Austin Hooper. And we're looking at this team and, and saying, hey, maybe they're trying to 
bring in some more pieces after kind of whiffing on bringing in Julio Jones the the year before and and trying to run back at it, and then they they do this. So I'm kind of confused. I don't know, Coop. What, what's your thoughts? I'm kind of confused because I, I thought it was a team that was starting to bring in some pieces to keep pushing to get a title, and then they almost do something that goes backwards. I, well, I think that Jeff is right in that it's kind. Of, it's like a pseudo rebuild where there you can see the shell of the old team is hanging on and the, the new team is underneath it. Right. Where it's like, um, you know, almost like a snake, you know, with the skin there, it's like you have this, like they go to these guys and say, Hey, Hooper, Tannehill, uh, Robert Woods, like, this is your chance. We're going to go out there. Even Derrick Henry, even Derrick Henry, because there's, you know, there's two running backs in the league right now that are over 27 years old that are starters and it's Henry and Cordero Patterson and Cordero Patterson is a starting running back. You know what I mean? So I think they're basically going to these guys and saying, Hey, you know what? Like this is your chance to go out and win it. And if we can't win it with what we have set up here, then we've already got the, the rest of it kind of built in. You had, you went and got Burks. Obviously they didn't, there was issues with Brown probably from a, uh, you know, a, a, um, like a personality standpoint as well. But, you know, now you have Burks. Now you have Malik Willis. Like now you have this whole thing underlying ready to go. Jeffrey Simmons is still young where you could don't have to, you can reload rather than rebuild now. But I think that all these guys, Tannehill, all of them are on notice that like this version of the team has a chance to win now. Otherwise, like Jeff said, the rebuild is ready to pull the trigger on. And uh, another thing that stands out about this whole situation that I thought was uh, a, a bit confusing was uh, the fact that the, the Jets didn't didn't go and make this deal because the Jets were like tied in every single rumor uh, this <laughs> offseason. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, they were tied with everything. And they Tyreek Hill. Yeah, they had an earlier pick. Did you guys have any any thoughts on like anything with the Jets not making this move or going after this move? I don't know, man. It sounded like they, they put the offers out there. Like the offer was out there for Debo. I mean – I don't know, Jeff. What do you like? I mean, the picks are the pick. It's not like you can even say that they were future picks and you're worried about the Jets being good all of a sudden, or whatever. Like, pick 10, you know, like it was yeah. right there. Yeah. And I, and they ended up with, to me, the best receiver in the, in the draft anyway with Garrett Wilson. So it's like they, right. they basically, uh, you know, try to get Debo. They try to get Tyreek Hill. They, they made offers that were pretty good for both those guys. Didn't get either one of them. Maybe they try to trade up to get the pick that they wanted, couldn't do it, and then they end up getting the best receiver in the draft anyway. So it, it worked out for the Jets pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, last question, then we'll we'll get off this topic. But obviously, this is one of the biggest pieces of uh, what happened over the week uh, the weekend. But AJ Brown, uh, Jeff, you you mentioned yourself that uh, maybe not the best for his his fantasy football value. Um, you know, I'm not asking you to whip out your rankings right now for dynasty, but. How, how much for you, uh, and then we'll go to Coop after, how much for you did this push A.J. Brown down your board in, in Dynasty, do you think? Um, so I haven't actually updated my rankings quite yet. I've been concentrating on my rookie rankings, updating those. Um, but it does knock him down a few pegs. I want to say off the top of my head, I think I had him at uh, receiver three, I believe. Um, I'm not going to drop him down too much. He's still A.J. Brown. I do think that he'll still be a, a really good player. Um, so I'm thinking just from the top of my head without trying to think of names, probably like receiver six, receiver seven, maybe okay. at the most. Coop, how about, how about yourself? You that's, don't have to that, give me the exact, but. Well, that is right where I have him. I have him seven. And seven? like, but, okay. but the thing is before I was so, I was high on him. I was very high on him. And now I have him seven where now I start looking at it and I'm like, is he that much more valuable than DJ Moore? Or guys like that? Because now it's similar age. AJ Brown's got the injuries and now he doesn't necessarily have the similar, you know, 
the, the same situation. So, I mean, I think I still like him more, but it's now it's not as easy as it was, you know? Yeah. And for anybody out there, the way I'm looking at it with this situation is that when you've got like Jalen Hurts, it's not going to support three guys. Like you can be high on Devonta Smith. You could be high on A.G. Brown. You could be high on Dallas Goddard, but you can't be high on all three of them. I really think that you're going to have to pick somebody to fade. And that's that's the thing with these arguments where, you know, we we love to argue and stuff. I have no problem with somebody picking Dallas Goddard and fading somebody, Devonta Smith, if you want. Just don't try and tell me that all three are going to be good because I think that's where you're you're getting into things that are historically don't happen. And that's where that's where I will argue with you. And it's no longer opinion in my opinion, in my, in my, from what I've seen. It's not an opinion. You're going against statistical, historical anomalies, you know. Which makes yeah, sense. I think it, 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 right. it's going to kill their consistency. Really, is what it's going to do. I mean, you're going to have the AJ Brown game, you're going to have the Devontae Smith game, you're going to have the Dallas Goddard game, but you're not going to get it consistently enough that it's going to be worth you know the 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 high pick if you, if you draft them in a startup. You know, you're still going to have that inconsistency. You want a guy that's going to be plug and play. I feel confident about him every single week, and you're, you won't get that with the offense. I don't believe. Yeah, For sure. You, and you can and you can likely justify. Guys like Coop said, in, you know, in your own routes, you might go to Goddard and say, well, for the tight end position, looking at the landscape of things, he's still a guy that I'm, I'm going to go after. A.J. Brown, I still think from a talent perspective, is still an elite player, so I'm going to go and, and go that route. Or Devonta Smith, guy they invested, you know, a first-round pick on in the past. I think he's going to be a value because of A.J. Brown's presence, so I'm going to go that route. But at, at the same time, if you are all in on all three of these guys – uh, you wouldn't start all these guys in your fantasy team at the at the end of the day for for one, and you probably wouldn't draft all three of them because you wouldn't be um, capitalize capitalizing on how you uh, end up taking guys in certain spots in the draft. So I think that's a great point. But uh, v- value changes. Val- anything else on, on that before we we move on? I don't want to jump off the topic, but uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So val- value changes happen. Happen often. We just talked about AJ Brown. Um, I'm sure people will talk a lot about Jalen Hurts. Another wide receiver to talk about, though, different system. Uh, Chase Claypool. I think this is an interesting topic here, but he actually, I was looking at the numbers, very, very similar numbers from rookie to sophomore season. Uh, he did play a game less in 2021, but nearly spot on for receptions, targets, receiving yards. The big difference was the, the touchdowns. He had seven less touchdowns, he had nine in his rookie season. Uh, he averaged 10.6 fantasy points. This is PPR. Last year is a, or I'm sorry, is his rookie season, and then 12.9 fantasy points uh, this past season. George Pickens now selected number 52 overall out of Georgia. Uh, led Georgia in receiving yards as a freshman. Gave him an, an elite breakout age. Uh, his yards per game went up uh, the next year. He, he battled through an ACL injury in 2021. He profiles as a guy that has. Great hands, and we've seen a lot of nice games out of him at a young age. Uh, but, you know, some people are kind of juggling around now with, uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky, uh, Kenny Pickett, this guy in the system, this guy in the system. I, I think I've seen a lot more people talk about Chase Claypool versus George Pickens now. So factor cap, and we'll start with Jeff. George Pickens destroys Chase Claypool's value. So I'm going to go fact with a caveat. I think it is a fact that if you own Claypool, his value has now tanked for you. You can't trade him for what you could have probably before this. However, Chase Claypool was not a first-round pick, which means there's no fifth-year option. And the Steelers are renowned for letting the receivers walk. They've done it with everybody. 
So Claypool in two years could be in a new situation. So he's a buy low candidate for me right now. So his long-term value hasn't been killed for me. Uh, his short-term value, if you wanted to trade him, probably has. So he's a buy candidate for me. Uh, I think Claypool can go somewhere else and be uh, maybe not an alpha, but a, a good number two somewhere else. And and the Steelers kind of put the writing on the wall that they're not going to probably pay Claypool when it comes time to pay him. And, you know, you hold on to Claypool for two more years and who knows where he might end up and his value would definitely increase at that point. So it really sounds like uh, to you, dynasty wise, just a, just a big hold right now uh, yep. in, in terms of what to do with him if you had him. But uh, Coop, Coop, same same question with George Pickens. Does he does he kill Chase Claypool's value? So Jeff hit the nail right on the head and it goes right into what we were just talking about where, um, you know, even if they could potentially let Deontay Johnson leave, he's a free agent next year. And I think that resuscitates his value a little bit, even in the short term, you know, I mean, but with the three of them there and Friar Muth and Najee Harris, it's kind of brutal. And just to go off what Jeff said, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a Patriots fan, dude, the, the Steelers situation over there drives me nuts because they've, they've drafted and let more good wide receivers leave yep. than we've ever ever drafted i mean this is going back to they had emmanuel sanders and mike wallace and they let them leave because they found antonio brown in the sixth round it's like give me a break they let juju smith schuster leave juju smith schuster would be the best wide receiver the patriots have drafted in 20 years like no julian edelman was a quarterback when he was drafted so it's like they're driving me nuts over there who is the steelers wide receiver scout we need to like drive over there and put a bag over his head and throw in a van and bring him up here and just pick one guy for us one you know what i mean so yeah. like that's where I'm at with it. Like uh Jeff Jeff pretty much said it that like you need to have uh you need the targets to be consolidated. Somebody's gotta go, or else it like if they decide to keep all three of those guys in Fry Muth and Najee, then you're gonna have what Jeff just said last last time with the Eagles, where it's like the inconsistency is gonna kill you because it could be a you like especially with a guy like Claypool that he'll have the big games and then he'll do nothing. So uh, you know, I'm there. That is fact that it hurts his value and I know most of these have been capped, so uh, the fact that we're, we'll, we throw a fact on the rumors out there, I think that means that speaks volume. They were going in the right direction now. Uh, yeah, and, and to answer Toronto Dave's question there about two years being a long time, so two years is when he would be a free agent. I, I would suspect that the Steelers in next year, if they were going to move on from Claypool, could try to trade him. They wouldn't want to let him walk. They would want to get some value back, so it could be less than two years. It could be just a year before you can get value for him. Yeah, and uh, – Shout out to Toronto Dave in the comments, man. I uh, re- really appreciate it. He, he also mentions uh, the biggest thing I'm taking away from all of this is that it's hard to support more than two receiving options, if two. And, and looking at the system, you, you got a running back that caught a shit ton of passes last year. You had a tight end that popped up a bunch of times, too. Um, I almost wonder I almost wonder if like a guy like Claypool has, has any trade value for the Steelers, for them to ship him off somewhere. But I guess I – guess, uh, it's not really in their plans. Um, so just to Toronto, Toronto, Dave, what he's bringing up there with the, the I've done a lot of work on that, the two receiving options. And uh, yeah. there, there are certain systems that you can look at and know right away it's not going to happen. Anytime you have a team that uses a second tight end and the real killer, the one that I hate for fantasy is the fullback. Because you say you have three wide receivers, a running back and a tight end. The second you bring in that second tight end, a wide receiver comes out. No more 80%, 90% snap share. And when you bring in a fullback, dude, the Ravens used Patrick Ricard on 43% of snaps. That's more than any of their running backs. That means that when you're bringing that fullback in, because you're leaving the tight end, you're leaving the running back in when the fullback comes in, a wide receiver comes out. That's why they can trade Marquise Brown, because they're like, 
we don't we don't use our wide receivers every snap. So yeah. it is possible to have three pass catchers if you're going to go full on Rams, you know, same 11 dudes every snap, 88% of the time, you know, three or more wide receivers on the field. But you look at some of these teams, and if I see a fullback on the roster, the, I'm I'm worried about the third wide receiver on that team for sure and possibly even the second one. As a, as a Niners fan, I, I can support that because we have Juice, one of the best fullbacks Juice. in the league. And oh, yeah. when he's on the, when he's on the field, you, you, you're right. I mean, he's not – there's a receiver off the field that's not catching the ball, and sometimes he's the one catching the ball. So I uh, agree 100%. All right. We're, we're at the 40-minute mark, so I want to move forward. Might skip around a little bit just so we can hit some of the better topics. I know we talked about Kenneth Walker earlier, so I want to be able to talk about him um, a bit more, uh, especially with – people getting ready for their rookie drafts. I think it's important to start weighing out, you know, who who should go where. So Kenneth Walker had 1,636 rushing yards, which is second in the nation for college football. Uh, this past season, 18 touchdowns for the year. Compact, powerful runner out of Michigan State. 41st overall draft pick uh, to Seattle. I guess he's going to be competing with Rashad Penny. I think John McGlynn was in the comments earlier. He threw out the name Chris Carson, who – May or may not play football, not too sure. I haven't heard tons and tons of updates on him. But uh, the big question, so factor cap here, and uh, I forgot which order. We'll go back to Coop here. But factor cap, Kenneth Walker is the 102 rookie draft pick. Yeah, for, I mean, for the sake of time here, I'll be quick and say, yes, he is. That's a fact. And the reason being that just running backs carry such value. They're such shiny picks that I would take him. And if I need a wide receiver now and I'm competing now, I just trade him for a wide receiver. You can get you can get someone for him right now, a guy you can start in your roster. And if not, then I trade back, like we talked about earlier, yeah. from pick three to seven. Who cares? If there's a guy that wants the running back that bad, you can trade for five or six and, and feel good about it. So uh, fact for me that he's 102 for that reason. Same question, Jeff. Yeah, I'm going fact here as well. He's the he's the 102. And and I went back and forth on, on Brees Hall and Walker as who's the 101 because – Brees Hall went to the Jets, which we know historically is not a good place to go when you're an offensive player. And Walker went to the Seattle Seahawks, which overall is a better organization in the long run. You know, is it Pete Carroll or was it Russell Wilson? The fact that he was there, that's why they were good for so long. Um, but I have more confidence in in the Seahawks putting things around Walker uh, to to make him successful in the long run. Now, short term, Rashad Penny's there, probably is a day one starter. We know Penny has injury history, so it's just uh, – one injury away from Walker taking over that role. Um, so I, I, I do think Walker is still my clear cut one or two. Here's a quick side question. So I know we, we talked a lot about Michael Carter potentially affecting Brees Hall. Do, do you see Rashad Penny in a perfectly healthy Rashad Penny world, which we haven't seen too much of, but let's say it's a, it's a perfect uh, world for Rashad Penny. Does he affect Ken, Kenneth Walker's uh, value? And should we be concerned about him being the RB one and Kenneth Walker being, uh, I don't know, maybe in, in, in either a one uh, B role or looking at a situation like a Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams sort of thing where it's, it's completely split. Uh, what's your guys thoughts on that? Anybody can jump in. I'll just say, I think, Mel, I think Kenneth Walker, you know, just said is a good enough runner that his value is going to be derived from his running ability, much like Derek Henry or Nick Chubb. Like if Kenneth Walker is the Kenneth Walker, we think he is, then the, any receptions are kind of a cherry on top. You know, yeah. and we've seen guys with on good teams, you know, drop. I mean, we saw LeGarrette Blunt being RB1 with seven catches, you know. So, I mean, like, it's possible for him to be good even without them. I don't think Rashad Penny uh, necessarily even has that different of a skill set where they even split it. I think, Penny, I think Penny would probably end up just being like a change of pace guy for however long he's healthy. 
same wave, Jeff, or how do you? Yeah, how do while you, you were talking, Coop, I looked. Yeah, yeah, basically the same. And while he was talking, I looked up Rashad Penny. He's on a he's on a one year deal. I knew he resigned, but he's on a one year deal. Uh, even if he has a fully healthy season, I don't see them paying him a big contract when they have Walker waiting in the wings. So Penny's one and done, even if he stays healthy all year, which I don't expect him to do. All right, we'll we'll go to the next one here. And and you know I had this as two two separate questions. I'm just going to merge it into one and kind of mix things up because I feel like I I've seen a lot of a lot of this guy or or that guy. And you know one question I kind of threw out uh, in preparing for the show was is one guy top five and the other one was did this guy's dynasty value jump a lot? But maybe we can just kind of weigh them both out. But looking at Christian Watson, 6'4", 208, wide receiver that, that ran a 4'3'6", coming out of North Dakota State. Um, he's, in, he's in Green Bay with a, with a depth chart that had Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins as the, uh, the top two wide receivers in that organization. And then we look over to the, uh, the Chiefs. Sky Moore uh, out of Western Michigan, a guy with a you know, good route tree, makes guys miss. Yards per route run was solid. Uh, he, he goes to Kansas City at, at number 54 and. Both of these guys seem to be shiny new objects, and I'm curious, and we, we can kind of shift away from the factor cap for, for this question here, but I'm curious how you weigh these two. Maybe maybe if, if you're on the clock at you know this pick, this guy looks better than this guy. Maybe this guy's being overvalued. Just just give me give me anything about these two guys when you're when you're kind of weighing them two out. Because again, we're looking at two that that went, you know, in this the second round and uh two guys that are on new teams that have have a decent opportunity for them, and and one might be more appealing for the long run. One more might be uh, more appealing for you know the duration of the quarterback still playing, and and this and that. But uh, Jeff, we'll go to you first. Uh, just, just talk to me about Sky Moore, Christian Watson, how so that weighs out. Christian Watson and Sky Moore, I, I loved both of these guys pre-draft, and I wanted both of them pre-draft. Post-draft, I can tell you, I will not own either one of them because their value is too high now. They're going like 105, 106, 107, and that's too rich for my blood. Sky Moore is not Tyreek Hill. Um, he, and, you know, We don't know what he's going to be, but he's not going to step into that role and just be Tyreek Hill like some people think he might. Um, I think there's some similarities there, but he's also very raw. Uh, he's got a huge playbook to learn from Western Michigan. He's got to learn the playbook there with the Chiefs, which Andy Reid has a very complicated playbook, so he knows how fast he picks that playbook up. Uh, and we played this game before, and we had McCole Hardman. Everyone thought McCole Hardman was going to be the next guy up, and, and he struggled. So um, Sky Moore, I loved him in the second round when I was getting in, like, in the 202, 203, 204 range. Uh, at the 107, which is probably where he's going right about now, um, I don't really want him. And Christian Watson, kind of the same thing. He He's jumped up. He jumped up a little bit at my boards um, post-combine because he had a huge combine. And then, you know, obviously now that he's going to the Packers, he's got Aaron Rodgers tied to him for a little bit. Um Again, I love him in the second round, but in the first round where, where he's going, I don't think I want to risk for Watson either. There's a reason that, you know, pre-combine, no one was really talking about him until post-combine. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, look at these metrics. This guy is, you know, this and that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think I'll own either one of these guys because of where they're going. So it sounds like Jeff uh, likes the the situations, but but maybe doesn't like where people are, are grabbing these guys. And it does seem like they're, they're being grabbed pretty early. I see – you know, takes, I, I try, you know, in all, in all Twitter honesty, I try not to really scroll as much. I try to, you know, I mean, we, we all, we all do, but like during this time of year, like you're scrolling and you're just seeing like this way up here, this way down there and, and everything in between. But uh, uh, that's an interesting point though. Like good, good, good player, or decent players, 
good situation. Maybe people are grabbing him too high. But uh, Coop, same same sort of thing. Christian Watson, Sky Moore. How are you weighing these two guys out right now? I'm fully with Jeff. I mean, I just in a draft just today, I had the 109. The kid wanted Sky Moore, and I gave up the 109 and Gerald Everett for Miles Sanders and Christian Kirk, just because you know I. My team's already competing now. I just need guys to fill in right away. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's not that valuable, valuable to me. On those two players, this is where we come in, right? Us as, us as analysts. And this is where you can get value, anyone out there listening. We have it at Fantasy Line. We have a Discord. I know Jeff has it. Nick, I know you answer questions all the time. It matters the league you're in, right? Like, uh, you look at Sky Moore, and everyone says he's going to be Golden Tate. He's going to be that PPR monster type guy. And then Christian Watson is this super low floor, super high ceiling type guy. Look at your league. If you're in like a 10-man league that starts two wide receivers, then you want to go for Christian Watson. You want to go for the big ceiling guy. If you're in a big league, like I'm in one on Sirius, it's like 16 teams and you start a million flexes, Sky Moore's a guy that can probably start every week for me. So this is where you got to go out. If you're unsure on those two guys, reach out and say, hey, Coop, this is my league. This is my format. Who do you like better? Because the answer changes based on what you play. Like if you play standard versus full PPR, the answer changes. If you have three wide receiver and four flex versus two wide receivers and one flex, the answer for me changes. So uh, definitely use the resources and tools you have to figure out the pick when it comes to those type guys, in my opinion. I I, I think that's a, a great point because I feel like too often we, we, we look at prospects or rookies or, you know, sleepers and all, all these terms and all these different values of players and think everything is always black and white. And, you know, I, I play in a home IDP league where we have a bunch of starting offense and defense and the picks, the valuation of those picks compared to your average 12 team super flex league are, are very different. And then I have another home league where we have short benches. It's a 10 team uh, dynasty league and the starting lineups are kind of thin too. And then, then you're, you're not really starting either one of these guys. And you mentioned some leagues where you're starting, you know, I don't know, maybe you're starting three wide receivers and, and two flexes. So. I feel like that's a great point when weighing these things these things out is is kind of understanding what what sort of league you play in, uh, what sort of format you're playing in, and, and also um, kind of kind of where you are at in your league. Because again, Sky Moore might be going in some of these like analyst leagues at 107, but in my you know suburbs of Chicago league, he's going 204 or something like that. So that, that's great. That's solid. I like that a lot. Um, Let's go one more question and then we'll close things up because I don't want to keep you guys here all night. Uh, but Malik Willis, you got to got to mention Malik Willis, especially in Superflex leagues, because prior prior to the and uh, Superflex, if you're listening, these are leagues that you can start two quarterbacks. So not you know not everybody plays in these leagues, uh, but they're they're growing in the uh, the dynasty community. But uh, for Superflex leagues, he was pre pre mocked as like the 101, 102. Uh, Malik Willis, a quarterback out of Liberty. And, you know, he he's a guy, we know the high rushing floor that, uh, that he was supposed to bring for fantasy, you know, coming out of college, 2,131 rushing yards and 29 rushing touchdowns for his career. Uh, a lot of people looked at him and said, Hey, we got a, a rare player of elite rushing upside with a plus arm. Uh, but, you know, he didn't go number two to the lions and he didn't go later in the first to the Seahawks or the Falcons. He went in the third round to the Tennessee Titans, uh, 86 overall. So he definitely dropped a lot and he's now be behind a 33 year old Ryan Tannehill, who was under contract the next two seasons. So factor cap on this one, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you due to when he was drafted and where he was drafted. 
Malik Willis should not be a first round rookie draft pick in Superflex leagues. That is uh, it's definitely fact. I mean, you look at any year, just pick a year in Dynasty and tell me when a third round quarterback was was going to be the you know the top five pick. It, it doesn't happen. There's no quarterback going in the third round that's going to be a top five pick or a top ten pick even uh, in Superflex, and it's no different this year. Um, yes, he has the athletic ability, but we always talk about draft capital, and he didn't get it. If he would have went in the first round, different conversation. But he went in the third round. A lot of teams got the quarterbacks above him. A lot of teams that needed quarterbacks passed on him. There's the reason they they passed on him. They they're privy to things that we're not privy to. So we got to read what the NFL tells us, and they're saying that this kid's not ready. Um, maybe down the road he will be, but I'm not spending a first round pick on him in the hopes that two years from now he'll be really good. Coop, same same question, man. Are you on the same page as, as Jeff here, or uh, do you see things different? Yeah, I mean, people generally, they've told me many times now, especially on Reddit, that they hate my take on quarterbacks, which is that I'm I'm looking for quarterbacks that are going to be quarterbacks. Like, that should be the number one thing you should care about is not running out to – like, rushing out to upside in terms of running. Like, that shouldn't be the first thing you look for. The first thing you should care about is, is this guy actually going to play quarterback in the NFL? You know what I mean? For for more than one or two years, because, you know, a lot of these guys, that's what happens. So that same thing last year. That's why I had Trevor Lawrence first. I was like, I think Trevor Lawrence has the best chance of being a professional quarterback, you know, so I can't go out and run out to best case scenario first when that's the first thing that matters. And in this case, that draft capital killer, man, like like Jeff said, I mean, half the league was drafted in the first round. Another probably quarter was drafted in the second round. There's a handful of guys. Like Tom Brady's not walking through that door. Like, you know, it's like Russell Wilson and then who? As far as guys drafted outside the first two rounds. So, uh, you know, the fact that he might – and you look at some of these first-round guys. I mean, Jordan Love hasn't even played yet. Some of these guys don't even play when they're drafted that high. So, um, you know, the fact that he's he slid that far – is very telling in a, in a league where quarterback is crazy important. Think about how important defensive end is. None of the defensive end slid. You know what I mean? Court last year, quarterback was so important that they all went in the first. And this year, this guy can't go until the third. That is terrifying. Terrifying. The Seahawks and Falcons had so how many picks? So many picks they didn't use on them. Yeah, I, I think it was very telling how the, the NFL viewed this guy. And, I mean, hope the best for him. But at the same time, if you go down the list of teams and, and say – couldn't they use a quarterback? Can this team use a quarterback? There was there was a handful that that could have been on him early, and he just kept going and going and going. And it wasn't like uh, a team like the Seahawks saw him slipping at the end of the second and, and jumped up to go grab him, and make sure that they got him. So that 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 is telling. Um, Pickett, you know, just side question. Don't have to go deep into it. Pickett, on the other hand, to the Steelers, different sort of draft capital. You you as a fantasy manager, not an analyst. You as a fantasy manager. We'll go Coop and Jeff, and then this will be our last uh, question here. Are, are, are you interested in drafting him? In single QB leagues, my philosophy has always been the same. I take all the running backs and wide receivers I like, and then the, as soon as there's one I don't like, like as soon as I run out of the guys I like, then I take a quarterback or then I take a tight end. So that's Kenny Pickett for me is that guy. I don't think he's, you know, world beater that you have to put him ahead of uh Burke, you know, uh, Burks or any of those guys, but so that's where he is for me. In Superflex, it really depends on how cutthroat your league is because I'm in like I said, the even the 16 league, 16 team league I'm in that's just one quarterback, he'll go in the first round because quarterbacks are cutthroat. I mean, I've I've had weeks where I didn't have a quarterback at all in that league because that's just how it goes when you know, every 16 teams, every team has two, 
you're in trouble sometimes. So it really depends on your league, but I think he should be a first round pick in Superflex just because you hit that point where, you know, Jameson Williams goes and Chris Watson and Sky Moore goes, and then you're like, okay, do I take, I mean, James Cook? I mean, I don't know, Jeff, what do you think? Are you are you going for him in the first round of Superflex, or do you have enough running backs and wide receivers that you, that you don't do it? No, I think right where you were just saying, right in that, like, James Cook, Sky Moore, Christian Watson, when those guys start coming off the board, that's kind of where I'm thinking about taking him in the Superflex League. You know, he's not going to be the, the 101 or the 102 or the 103. Those receivers are just too good to, to, to pass up on for a quarterback that – you know, may or may not be that good. And, you know, draft capital is there. He went in the first round. So there is that. Um, there's the Steelers. They're a pretty, you know, uh, patient um, franchise. You know, they've had the same coaches, you know, three coaches in their entire career or their entire franchise history. Um, same thing with quarterbacks. They they stuck by Ben Roethlisberger for so long, even after when he couldn't play anymore. They're a patient, very patient franchise. So I think Pickett could get a chance. And he if he gets a chance with the first round draft capital, could potentially, you know, be around for a few years, but those receivers and those running backs that are going ahead of him, you know, pretty much like 107, 108 is probably where I'm starting to think about taking them. Yeah. And like, uh, and like Coop said too, uh, kind of understanding your league. I, I had a guy on before that was in a dynasty league, super flex league that said it, it's very easy to trade quarterbacks in his league. And I was kind of like baffled at the time. Cause I play in like two where it's, it's extremely hard to trade those. So I, I feel like sometimes playing uh, the value of, of how your, your league is with, uh, with the quarterback position and super flex is important too, because if I know that I can grab them at the 108 or something like that, 109 and other guys I wanted already were taken and I can sell them for a profit later, that, that makes sense too. But uh, I do want to wrap things up because I know we're getting close to the hour mark, but very appreciative of you guys coming on. I know uh, draft season is extremely busy for, for everybody. So uh, again, thank you guys for taking time out of your days to come on, but I uh, want to make sure uh, as we close things out, remind everybody where to find you. And if you got something coming up, you want to plug, do it. And Coop will go, go to you and then Jeff. Yeah, for sure. Just follow me on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco. My, my DMs are open. I'm always answering questions and I, I tweet out everything I do. So if I have an article, even an old one that I think applies, I put it in there. Every time I write a new one, every time I got a podcast, it goes up there. So uh, you can't miss it if you follow me. And if you want to see all my old stuff, just t- just go on Google, type, type Fantasy Alarm Andrew Cooper. And the first link that comes up is just all my stuff. It's nice and easy right there. So Nice, nice. Yeah. And Jeff? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Lambert 77. It's Jeff with a G E O. Um, it's a little bit spelled a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, everything that's, uh, from going for two, from going for two live, everything goes through my Twitter account as well, but you can definitely go to YouTube search for going for two live. We have a live um, Monday through Friday, and the way I structured my shows, they're all different. Um, so it's not the same content delivered over and over and over again. Like tonight's show, um, it's called press coverage. Um, it's Kyle Senra as the host. And he has, you know, analysts on, and it's kind of like the, to get another analyst from behind, you know, sort of like the, the scene behind, they get the analyst a little bit. I think he's got Shane Manila on tonight. Um, so every show is a little bit different, so you're getting new content every night. Um, my show, again, is on uh, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday nights, so check us out for sure. Um, and, again, thanks for having me on, Nick. This is uh, always a lot of fun. Love hanging out with you uh, for an hour in Coop. It's, uh, you know, never met face-to-face, but, you know, nice to meet you. And, uh uh, I look forward to seeing some of your some of your takes here on tight ends because I'm I'm curious to what uh, what these rookies look like because some of them landed in some good spots. There we go. There we go. And uh, if you guys are tuning in, if you guys are in the comments, I know like Dave, John McGlynn, uh, Tyler. There's a bunch of you guys in the comments. Really appreciate that. And uh, for me, 
random stuff throughout the week. But thank you guys for listening and uh, have, have a good rest of your night and good luck in your rookie drafts. Hit us all up. If you're following me and not these guys, go change that now. Have a good night.